Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you live in London or have ever planned a trip to the wonderful capital city, you'll know that it has one unpredictable yet very predictable thing about it. And that's the weather. Apart from a regular surprise soaking or weeks of rain at a time, the weather in London, even though sometimes inconvenient, doesn't seem dangerous. But in times past, the weather has had a deadly hold over the city and claimed lives in the process. You may be interested to hear as well that we may be due another series of weather events in the not too distant future, which, if they happen, would have the capability of decimating the city. But in order to know what we may be up against, we first need to investigate the strange meteorological events of the past. Today on Macabre London, we uncover weird weather from the capital city. Guaranteed in London to be treated to a vast array of climates during a day, sweating on the tube to then be blasted with freezing cold air as you exit. You can stare in awe as bright sunny skies bedazzle one side of the Thames and watch incredulously as the side you're on inevitably sits in a grey shroud whilst you get drenched with bitingly freezing pigeon-coloured rain. When planning an outfit for the day, it's normal to find yourself donning a raincoat, sunglasses, sandals and an umbrella that you will always, and I repeat always, leave behind on the bus. Part of the charm of a London day in autumn is not knowing when you step out of your house if you'll arrive the way you looked when you left, or if you'll turn up looking like a rat that's just been treated to a dunking in Joseph Bazalgette's ancient sewers that run beneath the bulk of the city. Throughout the years, London has been treated to a vast array of strange phenomena that have almost been entirely forgotten today. From floods to hurricanes and even earthquakes, these acts of God are usually out of the hands of the city planners. But what happens when these phenomena are accidentally man-made? 
London's skyline has evolved over the past few decades to become the iconic mishmash of skyscrapers that is gleefully reproduced on many a tourist trinket today. These buildings, which start off with very professional-sounding names, end up being turned into much more recognisable monikers via the locals who see these architectural giants on a daily basis. 30 St Mary Axe, for example, is nicknamed the Gherkin due to its resemblance to the pickled cucumber. However, its actual name of 30 St Mary Axe is as a result of maintaining the history of the site where this architectural marvel was built. On the 10th of April 1992, the site was bombed in a terrorist attack by the Irish Republican Party, known by their acronym the IRA, as part of years of organised attacks across the whole of the city in a bid to bring an end to British rule in Northern Ireland and to bring Ireland back to a unified country. The car bomb, which was detonated outside the Baltic Exchange, decimated the building, killing three people and injuring 91 civilians. The damage to the Baltic Exchange was so severe that after years of trying to save the building, it was eventually decided it was unsalvageable and the site was set to be built upon again. A new type of skyscraper was built, which would set the tone for London's skyline in the coming years, and as such, the way these buildings would have to be constructed would be revolutionary in the world of architecture and town planning. With a push in the early 2000s to develop the skyline to make way for more kingpins from the financial sector, the buildings began growing taller and taller. Up until 1962, St Paul's Cathedral had been the tallest building since its rebuilding was finished in 1711, after it had previously burned down in the Great Fire of London in 1666. To preserve the views of the second largest cathedral in the UK, town planning decrees that views of the mighty church must be protected, and this means that the skyline stays clutter-free, devoid of unwanted skyscrapers popping up here, there and everywhere. However, the holy views of the cathedral can only do so much when it comes to popping up a new building. If St Paul's doesn't happen to be blocked, then it's a green light for an application, but many of these are turned down. For a number of reasons, some buildings just don't work in the city. Some would block flight paths, some are questionable in design and would blight the horizon, and others could just cause some major climate issues or add to the issues that have already arisen from the city's 37 skyscrapers that are already part of its landscape. With the skyscraper boom in the 2000s, the close proximity of so many tall buildings started to create narrow corridors which caused wind whipping around the tops of the buildings to be forced downward. This has meant that the financial district is now the windiest part of the whole city. One street in particular that hosts 20 Fenchurch Street, nicknamed the Walkie Talkie, has become so blustery since its construction it's avoided by people who work nearby. The winds have become so intense that it's common to lose your umbrella or your hat and if you're wearing a skirt then you better have opted for tights because the whole world will soon see what you've had for breakfast. With the fast construction of so many buildings, the negative effect on those walking past them and on bikes wasn't really thought about, and as such, wind speeds were regularly reaching levels that would knock people off their feet, or cause cyclists off their bikes in order to make headway or to not fall off. In no uncertain terms, this has now created some pretty hideous parts of the city to hang out in, 
which has caused many people to abandon this area in favour of calmer, not-so-blustery places, often leaving the city incredibly vacant, especially on weekends. In order to prevent the whole city from developing a windy microclimate, any new buildings set for construction have to conform to the snappily titled Wind Microclimate Guidelines for Developments in the City of London. These guidelines require any new building proposals to conform to trials and tests via computer modelling and scaled model testing to make sure they don't inadvertently create any more wind tunnels. This avoids the city from gaining any more people-bothering wind canyons, and with planning applications seeing a record high, it's a good job, as just one misplaced building could cause the area to become completely inhospitable. The walkie-talkie, which also houses the popular Sky Garden, also had a penchant for pyrography when it was first built. Due to the highly reflective outer body of the building, the sun's rays which were turned into a deathly heat ray began melting and setting fire to things nearby and cracking pavements in the process. Luckily for the owners of the building, London was classically not particularly sunny, and as such, the damage caused was fairly minimal. But that's not to say that it didn't have the potential to have caused some phenomenal damage. The building managed to melt portions of a car a few streets away, which luckily only did damage to the outside of the vehicle, but if the car had been parked slightly differently that day, the intense heat could have caused the petrol to ignite, which would have made it explode. A rug that was left out on a roof was also sent into a smoulder by the death beam, and when reporters heard about the fire, they cracked an egg to see if it could be fried, and lo and behold, the heat of the building cooked it. Here right now, it is the hottest I have ever felt in London. It's all because of that building beside me. Um, Jim Watterson is a reporter on City AM. He's just cooking up some lunch here. I can't even lift it up, it's actually that hot. He's just baked, fried an egg uh, here on the streets of London. He's just putting that in there for his story. It is so hot. It is so hot. Um, There you go. He has just cooked that egg on a frying pan on the streets of London. If we just look back down there, our cameraman Jim, those tiles have just popped off in the heat. That's how hot it is. It is like being under a magnifying glass, and we need to get into the shade, actually. Uh, We have with us a solar physicist who is Dr. Simon Foster. It is focused down here. The building behind us is focused down. I've never felt heat like this. I left stupidly left my bag out. And you probably see, so this is actually, it got up to 92.6 degrees. That's Celsius. That's Celsius. So that's how hot, you can't believe how hot it is. It's it's actually really unpleasant to actually be out in it. you're a solar physicist. Just explain this to us, because I've never felt like this in London. So it's basically, it's like a satellite dish. When you've got a satellite dish, it converges or forces radio waves down onto a point and then you've got your transceiver which you receive them. Now you can do the same with light and that's what this building is doing. Basically you've got a vast area that's collecting sunlight and it's focusing it down onto a tiny point which is where we're standing. So all that sunlight that's hitting that building is being focused down there. It's like being under a magnifying glass as a kid. You know when you can burn stuff. That's what we're in. It's like a giant version of that, and we're feeling the effects. It's really deeply unpleasant. I'm sweating here just talking to you. Let's look at the statement. We've got a statement uh, from the owners of the building, which we can take a look at now. They say the phenomenon is caused by the current elevation of the sun in the sky. It currently lasts for approximately two hours per day, with initial modelling suggesting that it will be present for approximately two to three weeks. Uh, Dr. Simon Foster from Imperial College London, 
your reading of that statement? Well, obviously, if you're here for those two to three weeks, now is two hours, and obviously we can walk past, these buildings can't. So they're going to be caught in the focus of it. And just as you see there, you're going to be able to basically burn stuff with it. It's, it's kind of, from a scientific point of view, I find this fantastic. You know, it's really interesting. I want to come down to see what happens to these buildings over the next few weeks. But, you know, for those couple of weeks, this is ridiculous. It is so hot here, I cannot explain. Once the frazzling heat ray was discovered, the building's owners made some quick adjustments to make sure the building was less reflective, and since the changes, no melting or accidental evaporation of passers-by has occurred. However, when researchers tested the potential damage of what could have occurred, they discovered that the concentrated beam of heat had the potential to kill. I'm sure the owners were very pleased to only have to pay £1,000 for the damages to the Jaguar car, and not for a lawsuit for accidental death. Given its rounded shape looming over the landscape like a tripod from War of the Worlds, I'm not surprised that the building came with an inadvertent heat ray installed. When you look at London's towering skyline today, often bedecked with grey rain-filled clouds, it's easy to mumble that you may soon be drenched. But back in the 1950s, sights of clouds hovering above the city could foretell a very bad time for Londoners, bringing with them conditions which would kill thousands. On the morning of December 5th, 1952, a thick fog descended upon London. But this was no ordinary fog, it was mixed with the heavy coal smoke that London was producing, and when combined, it created smog. When people got up for work that day, they were treated to a thick blanket of wet air that curtained the whole of the city. As people tried to get on with their lives, as Londoners always will, regardless of what's happening outside, they were met with appalling conditions which forced them back into their homes or saw them turning up to their destination, completely covered in a layer of black dirt. As the weather over that winter had been particularly chilly, people in London, and all over the country for that matter, had been stoking up their fires with coal. This coal smoke, when combined with the fog that rolled in from the Thames, coated the city in unbreathable air. People tried to continue about their business, such as going to the cinema, where the screens were obscured by bad air, going down the pub, because after all this is England, and going to restaurants where patrons struggled to see the waitstaff taking their orders. Many people who did venture out sadly dropped dead in the street, or suffered complications once they'd got home, the worst hit being those that were forced to stay outside, or those that were clinically vulnerable to begin with, such as children, the elderly and the homeless, along with transport workers, market traders and the emergency services. With the air quality being so poor, it was causing people to die from the bad air they'd inhaled as the wetness of the air made it stick to people's lungs, causing them to metabolise its poisonous compounds into their blood, which in turn killed them. Even for those who wrapped up tightly and wore masks protecting themselves from the noxious airborne compounds, they still had the likelihood of coming a cropper from cars careering off the roads, falling down hidden stairs, or even being mugged from criminals who seized the opportunity of the smoggy blanket to give them anonymity. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many people suffered long-term complications from the heavy smog, and it's not known exactly what the final death toll was, but it's believed to have well exceeded any wartime conflict, with an estimated 12,000 people dying. The smog wouldn't have claimed so many lives had it not been for the fact that unlike previous smogs, a period of low air pressure caused it to linger on the streets for a much longer period of time. The smog finally dissipated after almost a week, leaving behind a slimy residue which clung to buildings, permeating their exterior and causing them to have irreversible damage, some of which can still be seen clinging to many of the city's long-standing buildings today. But the damage to the buildings was nothing compared to the huge loss of life. Over 150,000 people were hospitalised during the event, which saw 0.1% of the population of London eradicated as a result of the smog. After such a huge loss of life, the government finally conceded four years later to introduce the Clean Air Act, which prohibited certain fuels from being burned in the city, something which is still in force today. But try telling that to Philippa, who lives down the street with her wood-burning stove. Our next weatherall disturbance is not really, well, weather-related, despite sharing the name of an aquatic catastrophe. On the 17th of October 1814, eight people drowned as a result of a sudden flash flood on the Tottenham Court Road. A 15-foot-high tidal wave engulfed the buildings of the street, swept pedestrians off their feet and flooded basements. The strangest thing being that it was a completely dry day, and the flood came from absolutely nowhere. At around 5.30pm, a huge explosion erupted from behind a brick wall, which subsequently collapsed, throwing bricks as projectiles violently into the air, instantly killing a servant girl who was cleaning clothes at a water pump. The wave quickly engulfed the area, taking no prisoners, and as the liquid poured into homes, it decimated the basic dwellings. Many of the homes had shared basements, and with the streets having no drainage, the liquid had nowhere to go apart from into the houses. As the flood continued, people clambered to the highest points in their homes, fleeing to the upper floors, standing on tables and climbing anything they could to escape. 
But what exactly happened to drench this part of the city? For those who were hit with the unexpected wave, they would have instantly been able to recognise what it was. Beer. Situated behind the exploding brick wall was Bainbridge Street Brewery, London's fifth largest producer of London Porter beer, owned by Mew & Co, and from within its walls the tidal wave had emerged. At the subsequent coroner's inquest a few days later, the bodies of the deceased were laid out and inspected, and so began the task of piecing together exactly what had happened. The first person to be questioned was George Crick, the storehouse clerk, who was present at the time of the accident, but luckily survived to tell the tale. George was checking the barrels and on a raised platform when the incident occurred. He had heard a loud crash and knew instantly that one of the huge fermenting vats had exploded. He ran to where the vat was and saw two of his colleagues, one of which happened to be his brother, submerged in beer, and he himself had to wade through the liquid, which reached up to his waist. The cascading alcohol had smashed the two men against a wall, and both were injured so badly that they remained in hospital for a few days afterwards, George fearing that they probably wouldn't survive. The vat that had exploded contained around 3,555 barrels of beer, but according to George, the vats were always underfilled by about 40 barrels, so that if there was an accident, it wouldn't be quite as catastrophic. Now, I don't know about you, but 40 barrels of beer is a lot, but it's sure not as many as 3,555, so I'm not quite sure how this maths plays out. But anyway, I digress. The court heard how the whole vat of beer had given way, which was what caused the almighty tidal wave which knocked down the brewery wall. The wall at its thickest part was 22 inches, which explains why when it exploded, that it instantly killed the servant girl on the other side of it. As the vat collapsed and shed its contents, the wave of porter set off a domino effect of overturning more containers of beer, and as such, this only exacerbated the situation, adding more and more beer to the instant flood. It took the workers at the brewery, the ones who weren't injured that is, around an hour and a half to secure the premises. During that time, they discovered a body under the waist-deep beer. The corpse was a lady by the name of Anne Saville, and how she came to be inside the now-exploded walls of the brewery still remains a mystery, but it's suspected that she was washed in from the street or floated into the yard from a nearby collapsed building. As the brewery workers were busy inside the walls of Mew & Co, people on the surrounding streets were in a state of chaos. Walls had collapsed, buildings had fallen, and basements had flooded with occupants inside. Those who had survived shushed panicking bystanders whilst they listened for cries from trapped victims so they could locate them and dig them out. Like much of London at this time, the area surrounding Tottenham Court Road was packed with multiple occupancy tenements. This meant that the houses that were flooded or destroyed would have had many people inside them, but as it was during the day, the male members of these households would have been at work and the women were at home looking after their children, or just, you know, being women, because the balance of working women to men was highly disproportionate. This was displayed with the fatalities from the event being all women and children. But why exactly did the vat explode that day? 
George said he'd checked the vat earlier on in the day when he'd noticed that one of the rings which went around the wood had cracked. When reporting this to his manager, he was told to write a note to get it fixed and to post said note to the man who would come and fix it. He was assured by the manager, however, that the vat would be fine and not cause any further issue. You can see where this is going, can't you? This particular vat had been in operation for 10 years, and the beer that was brewing inside it was around 9 months old. George reported that had this been a fresh batch, he would be concerned, as the fluctuating pressure due to the fermentation process may cause the vat to fluctuate in pressure, which could explode it. But at this stage, the 9-month-old beer should have done all of its fermenting and was just ageing. The actual cause for the vat exploding was never completely solved, but it's thought that it was all down to the faulty band or a loose panel that was above the liquid line. But surprisingly, a more definitive cause was never sought. You would think for an accident of this magnitude, the brewery would have had to make sure it wouldn't happen again, but in a time before risk assessments and public liability insurance, the accident was written off as just that, an accident. The brewery workers were criticised for not having run to the aid of the locals who were crushed, drowned or injured during the flood, but the court ruled that they were too busy to attend themselves, as they were far too preoccupied in trying to rescue the rest of the precious beer. In total, the brewery lost between eight and 9,000 barrels of beer, around 2.6 million pints, and the coroner's inquest sided with the brewery, calling the deaths that had happened casual, misfortunate and accidental allowing the owners, Mew and Co, to walk away scot-free. For most, the idea of a beer flood sounds like a joyous thing, but for eight unfortunate people and many others who had long-term injuries as a result of the VAT explosion, that couldn't be any further from the truth. Over the years, London has really been through the weather ringer and has seen its fair share of fatalities as a result, But our story doesn't end there. Join me next time when we explore some more of London's weird weather and discover why experts think we may be due some more cataclysmic events in the years to come. I'll be back next Thursday to enlighten you with part two, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Let me know which of those events you'd least like to be part of, or if any of those are new stories to you. And the next time you come to London, or if you live here and it's not lockdown time, then be sure to go to 20 Fenchurch Street to experience the wind tunnel for yourself. It really is pretty scary. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, then you can do so by signing up to my Patreon, where you'll receive goodies and extra content in return for your support. You can give a one-off donation via PayPal or the ACAST supporter link or just by spreading the word and telling your friends. It all means so, so much and thank you if you've already done that. And it's so nice to see more and more people appearing on Patreon and also dropping by my social media to say hi as it lets me know you want to have more content from me and it really does help to keep me producing things. Huge thanks goes to our executive Patreon producers, Barry and Sam, and all of our other patrons too a list of names of which are in the show notes of the podcast and the description on the YouTube video. And I'll put all the links in the show notes of how to donate if you'd like to. Thank you for joining me for another macabre tale from London's past. I've been Nikki Druce and I'll see you ghouls next time. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.